Welcome to Chatting with Authors podcast. I'm Will Zeilinger. And I'm Janet Lynn. Each of our programs feature an interview with authors from a variety of genres. We hope you'll learn a little about them, their writing life, and more. Here we go. National best-selling multi-award winning author Katrina McPherson was born in Scotland and lived there until emigrating to the U.S. in 2010. She writes historical detective stories set in the old country in the 1930s, featuring gently-born lady sleuth Dandy Gilver. After eight years in the new country, Katrina kicked off the comic Last Ditch Motel series, which takes a wry but affectionate look at California life from the point of view of a displaced Scot. Katrina spends her time between Scotland and Davis, California. She lives with her husband and black cat, Rachel. Welcome, Katrina. Hello, Katrina. <laughs> Thank you very much for having and me. And you are coming to us from Scotland. I am in Scotland, and you just made me think about Rachel, who's in California. The Not the husband, the cat in California. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm in Scotland at the moment. That's wonderful. We're coming in so clear. That's great. Now, tell us, why did you write decide to write mystery fiction? Oh, yes, I um, I read it a lot. I love it. Um, and I think, why did I decide to write mystery fiction? I think, you know, when they're, I mean, it's usually a murder, isn't it? Sometimes a jewel heist. Mm -hmm. You see people in extremists and you see them, you know, pressed and you find out who they really are. So it's always the most interesting time to look at a character is when they're going through these extraordinary times. And also there's a kind of, well, no, this isn't why I did it. This was a ha this was something I found out by doing it, that there's a, a skeleton, not a structure, not a template, but there's a sort of a skeleton to hang the everything else on, you know? There's the, you know where you're going in the end. Someone dies in chapter one, you find out who done it in the, in the last chapter at the end of the book. And so you don't need to worry about all the other stuff that goes on. I just, yeah, it, it's just, and I have written a couple of things that were not um, crime fiction and it just didn't feel right. It feels it's very much my, my tribe, my home, the mothership. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I've, I've read that uh, all great stories, whether they're classified as crime fiction or not, have a mystery in them somewhere. Some yeah, sort I mean, of a... for a plot, yeah, for a plot to really work, mm -hmm. there's got to be something to keep you keep you going, well, wondering what's like going to happen. Intrigue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intrigue. yeah, I like yeah. that. So you've been writing about your posh detective for 15 books now, and you've written now a heroine who lives in a tenement. Besides that, what's the biggest difference between these two? Are they both female uh, sleuths? They are, yeah. I've got the. It's my new one right here. I've got it sitting right here. They are. They're. Um, they're not that well. I always said I don't really want to write about World War Two, and so I've taken Dandy Gilver up to nineteen thirty eight, and this one starts in nineteen forty eight. So I've missed out the war. Mm. Um, she is a much younger protagonist, a working class um, protagonist, born, like you said, in a, in a tenement and lives in a tenement. And she's a professional woman. Dandy Gilver is a gently born lady um, who took on solving problems for her friends. And this young woman works in the National Health Service. The first book opens the day that the National Health Service begins. It was 4th of mm -hmm. July. Um, 
funnily enough, in 1948, and she works in a doctor's surgery with two male, <gasps> gasp, unmarried doctors. <laughs> Quite shocking. Um, and she's a welfare officer, so she's a professional busybody in a way. Mm. So that was a, a big difference, that she's not free to just truffle around after the mystery. She's got to be at work from nine to five every day. And I, I kept having to remind myself uh, that she had to that she had to go to work. Uh, she's not the only rich. <laughs> no, no, she's not. And she's she's much less free because she's um, judged and scolded and looked over by her parents and everybody else who lives in this bit of the city. Uh, where Dandy Gilver's so grand that she just sweeps around and no one much can tell her anything. So it's been a bit of a challenge, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's fun to write characters that have background. Yeah. Interesting background. Yeah, <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed writing her family. Um, and they were slightly in the background of the first one. You know, she she moves out of her her home but so her mum and her dad and her wee sister who's really annoying are there but then in the the one that i'm planning now i'm thinking i really want them to come back uh and play a bigger play a bigger part but i'm not quite sure how yet mm -hmm. but you know to write that um relationship with a of a a woman a young married woman she thinks she's 26 and her mother with lots of friction and lots of tenderness and affection, but lots of um, trouble as well. It's really good fun to write. Yeah. yeah and a very cool. annoying wee sister. I don't have a wee sister, I am a wee sister. So I feel I can write the wee sister who's so annoying from direct experience. <laughs> I love my two sisters, but boy, I have sometimes I just can't be there much longer <laughs> with them. I understand yeah. what you mean. I love them to death, but sometimes it's just two hours and I got to go. Jan Janet's oh. at the other end. Janet is the old sister, the older sister. Yeah. Oh, she has right. Two, two, wee, two wee babies, two little yeah, sisters. Two wee sisters. Yeah. I went for a walk with my sister, my not the one next to me, but the next one up today, uh, tramped mm -hmm. around the woods with her dogs, eating raspberries off the bush for a couple oh, of hours today. It's heaven because I'm usually so far away. So it's lovely to just text and say, hey, are you taking the dogs out? And then just go out. Feels fantastic. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. Now tell me, what do you like most about writing? Um, I, I love all of it, really. I was a, what you would call a professor. I would call a lecturer, uh, an academic before. I, was, I really didn't like that. And so all of writing is better. The worst bit of writing is better than the best bit of being a lecturer in a university. But there's a moment when in the first draft, maybe about not quite halfway through, when it really feels as if it's like you've got thermals under you, something just going and up into like, or a key, like a Whitney Houston key change. You know, and all of a sudden, I still don't know what's going to happen, and I'm I'm still a bit lost. But it, it feels as if it's just floating along, and I start to believe that this I'm not going to have to go cap in hand and say I can't write this book. It is going to work. I'm going to work out everything about it, and it's it's quite a nebulous. I mean, it's it doesn't mean that the words are coming easily or that I you know the, the writing's any easier. It's just a feeling of. Yes, off we go. It's just a lift into something else. Mm -hmm. I you hope other writers world. experience that. 
yeah. And I just think, and then there's another good, there's another step up sort of towards the end, which I call it, it becomes bulletproof, where I don't have to be, this is the first draft, where I don't have to be uh, um, sequestered, you know, and I, I can interrupt myself and I don't, doesn't matter where I am and doesn't matter what else is happening. The story's just absolutely bulletproof and it's, it's just going to rumble along right to the end. And then I just have to sit and type. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Bit. Yeah, for me, I put myself in a different world. It's like a different place. And that's when I get that whoosh thing that just keeps going and going and going yeah, until I get tired yeah. and I have to stop. It could be hours oh. later. Yeah. yeah. So are you a pantster or an outliner? No, no, pantser. Yeah. I, absolutely. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. We write, I, we write together and I'm a I'm an outliner. I can't write without an outline, and he's uh -huh. a master. So we're a mixed marriage. <laughs> we write together, I've, I've had to and that works, that. does it? Does that it work? Does. It works for us. But yeah. writing mysteries, I've had to learn to be an outliner along with it because otherwise, yeah. I've written myself into the corner many times, and uh, Janet's helped me find my way out. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's uh, but but I like to surprise myself. It's, it's yeah, like you said during the first draft. I like to get those aha oh what if this happened that first part yeah no i'm not i'm not an outline at all i never know who done it when i start to write sometimes it's quite really? late yeah wow. and i think you know i think the difference is pantsers never recommend it to anyone else <laughs> like i don't know a pantser that's no. glad that they're a pantser Every pantser I know, and, and me included, says, yeah, this is the only way it works for me. I wish it didn't because it's awful sometimes. It's You write yourself into a corner and it's scary and you're convinced that you're not going to be able to do it. And don't, if you if there's any other way to do it, do it another way. But I just can't. Mm -hmm. um, mm. that's, Second that's draft's not, a mess. You're right there. I, we have listened to some recent interviews with some other authors and you're almost universally they'll say oh yeah if they are not an outliner they go they say yes i do it this way but it's not the right way to do it and no i wouldn't have you do it <laughs> you certainly can't run workshops can you i mean you couldn't you couldn't <laughs> say you give me 150 dollars and i'll i'll buy you a sandwich at lunchtime and listen to me saying i don't know just right <laughs> that's never gonna work so. when when did you start writing a fiction um 2000 yeah january that I was, it would be great if I said January the 1st, but it wasn't. It was January the 6th, 2000. I resigned from my job and sat down to start to write a book because that's what I'd always wanted to do. So it was very mm. um, monolithic. <laughs> well, no, I started while I was still working. I did write a couple of short stories and I wrote a couple of uh, sitcom pilots, one of which... It didn't win a competition at the BBC, but it got picked up and it got plucked out of the pile and I went for meetings and it went into development and all that. So there was a slight sense of, well, maybe I can do this. Mm. But yes, it, I mean, I wrote a stories as a child, but then when I started studying, I just mm -hmm. stopped completely for, must have been about 25 years. I didn't write creatively at all. And then I started mm -hmm. again, big time, resigned, what? started. <laughs> What's the hardest part for you about writing? Um, the hardest part. Well, synopses. Mm. They're <laughs> awful. Um, they're very 
very difficult. I can write like jacket descriptions, mm -hmm. like it's like advertising copy that comes easy, but a synopsis I find uh, very difficult and impossible if I haven't written the book. Uh, I can do it afterwards, but mm -hmm. I can't. I mean, because I'm such a pantser, I can't write a synopsis and of something I haven't written yet, and I've just done it twice. And I walked into it, I was so annoyed with myself. I ha I turned in a book to my agent, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago or something like, no, it must have been a bit longer than that. And said, right, I've, I've got two stories and I don't know, I don't know what to write, what, what help, I don't know what to write. And she said, well, why don't you bash out a synopsis for each? And I thought, oh, I walked straight into that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Emailed back, heh, heh, heh. Just, just that. <laughs> so I did write two one-page synopses for unwritten books, but you know, it does. They're just like a manifesto. It's not. I shouldn't say. I mean, manifestos are supposed to happen, but they never do. You know, it, it won't be anything like that mm -hmm. when they when they come out. So yeah, that's my least favorite bit. Mm -hmm. And proof proofreading. You know, proofreading. <laughs> Is editing easy for you? Yeah, I don't mind editing at all. I'm, no. I'm quite, uh, because I don't read what I'm writing as I write it, I just write it and then print it and leave it for about a month. And so by mm -hmm. the time I come to edit it, the first edit, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like mine. I've got no kind of fierce protectiveness about it at all. So I can mm -hmm. slash and cut and burn. Um, and sometimes, <laughs> you, know when, you know when you get the edit back from the editor and mm -hmm. you can get a little bit ruffled sometimes mm. yes a little bit ruffled but a little bit yes. it looks like actually it looks like someone bled all over it yeah right oh. so I, I do sometimes think but usually i oh yeah that's true actually yeah you're right yes oh good save you know that, or i think oh yeah but this is what i meant and you slowly had to learn well it doesn't matter what you meant if it's not on the page then nobody's you can't just phone everyone up when they're reading and explain what you meant <laughs> You've got to put it on the page. So that's not as bad as it used to be. Mm -hmm. It's so fun our... when I... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I what I was going to say was when the when I'm editing the uh, books set in Scotland for America, that's really good fun because there's, you've got to find a way to... Well, you can't translate it because then people would be saying things they don't say, but there's always a way to, to make it not mystifying for the american audience but still authentic british mm -hmm. english and that that feels like fun because that's a puzzle that's maybe my favorite bit that is fun during during the, the during the pandemic we spent a lot of time we still do watching a uh, brit box and acorn and and oh, a yeah. lot of the the british uh television shows british irish scottish all the so and, and and a lot of times i do have to go to google and look up what, <laughs> what they're saying because i don't know the the slang yeah Oh, that, that's my life in America, is I don't know what's the nine yard line, what, what's a Hail Mary, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, what's the, that thing that people say, I'll take things that didn't happen for 50. I was mystified by that. Or sometimes, you know, I'll take bad ideas for a hundred, Alex. <laughs> what are they talking about? And really recently I found out that it, I can't remember what it's called, that it's a television show, isn't it? What's it called? Oh, Jeopardy. Um, yeah, there you go. Yes. I, I just, if you think about that, someone says something and someone says, 
I'll take bad ideas for 50, Alex. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> it was so weird. Everybody else understood it. Everybody yeah. else understood it. I but some understand. of the, I mean, some of the things, I don't know how I managed without them, things like catty corner. That's genius. I have to say <laughs> di diagonally opposite. I love that. Is there, is there a, a, a colloquialism for that in, in uh, the UK? Oh, no, no, there's nothing. Corner? Nope. No. We just say we say diagonally opposite. It is rubbish. It's just great. I like bailiwick as well. That's good. Ah, you like that? Bailiwick's a good one. And we yeah. don't have the word atop. We don't use the word oh, atop. atop. We have to say mm -hmm. on top of. So on I think atop of. sounds great. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> and also a lot of times when you hear them say, that's all there is, full stop. Mm -hmm. You and, don't hear full stop here in America. No, period. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, period. Yeah. But we, I mean, I think, I know in my friends anyway, Scottish slang is spreading like wildfire because it they, is, see it, it so they see it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a lot of our viewers who aren't familiar with you, I don't know why they wouldn't be, but who are familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about your contemporary psychological thrillers? Oh, yes. They're, they're very different. So they're, um, I mean, the Dandy Gilbert stories are my uh, sort of homage, pastiche, let's hope not, to the Golden Age, which I love. I love the Golden Age of, you know, Marjorie Allingham and um, Niall Marsh and all them. And the, the modern ones are very different. They are all standalone. So there is not, you know, there's no recurring characters. And they're um, about, usually about women, Although there's the, the latest one I wrote has got two, three main characters and two of them are men, but usually women, um, ordinary women in extraordinary circumstances. So, so I've said before that we meet someone on the worst day of her life and follow it downhill from there. So I usually like something, I like yeah, yeah. I like that. So you, you know, I mean, you know the kind of thing, and I just love that, you know, where everything starts to fall apart and you don't know who to trust. Um, so they're not, there are there's very seldom any police or detectives involved in in these stories um mm -hmm. and it, it rains on every page that's the main thing <laughs> they're all set in scotland and the weather's always atrocious and i love to write that when i'm at home in california baking hot turning up the air conditioning mm -hmm. and i just love that it's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon it's freezing cold horizontal rain drafty houses <laughs> you like that huh? you enjoy them yeah and some of them are some of them are quite dark i mean i i think we've all got happy endings i believe these are happy endings some of my email suggests that not everyone thinks these are happy endings <laughs> mm -hmm. um but they're result you know they're resolved um there's no cliffhangers at the end and to me they're inevitable maybe they're just inevitable endings yeah well it's just more like everything works out okay you know they don't yeah. get exactly what they wanted but they're happy where they are they're like not a the typical happy endings i i don't believe yeah either yeah yeah they it's, get i mean there's something that's a mixture between resolution and comeuppance i suppose yeah for them <laughs> yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah well that's good now tell me what do you like who's what authors do you like to read oh Oh, I've just, since I got to Scotland this summer, I've discovered a new to me author. My mother-in-law, my dear mother-in-law, had some books that she thought I would like when I went to see her. 
and one of them was the first in a series by a Scottish author called Marion Todd. Marion with an O, Todd, with two Ds. Don't know if you've come across her. Mm -hmm. And she writes um, Detective Inspector Claire Mackay, who's in St Andrews, home of golf, in Fife, which is near where her mother-in-law stays. And they're, um, you know, they're so good. I've read, I'm reading the fifth one now, and I've only been here mm -hmm. for a month. But you kind of can't catch her at it. I was thinking, why, why are these so good? They're so enormously appealing and compulsive and clever, but not um, in any way that you can, you can pin down. They're just straight police procedurals, but they're brilliant. I think the first one's called um, Lies to Tell. I think maybe the first one's called Lies to Tell. But anyway, Marion Todd... Um, very good so that's my my new uh great discovery mm -hmm. um aside from that i read a do read i read a lot of crime fiction um mostly contemporary some historical and a lot of other fiction and a little bit of memoir and some poetry and just just read a lot especially after mm. the you know during the pandemic and then it hasn't stopped afterwards you know, we were all yeah. living very quietly <laughs> and I started to read and um, I do read a lot. We were able to go through that pile of books that we've been meaning to read. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, 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 mm -hmm. I know. And we, you know, you remember when we were thinking, oh, the poor bookshops will be anyone that would deliver. You were ordering books from all these bookshops <laughs> all over the place. Uh -huh. yeah. And it was philanthropy more than shopping, I felt. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I did, yeah, I did read them all. So what is your most recent book that you have out that you could show to us? Oh yes, I have got it right here. This is the this is the 1948 one. Ah, oh, isn't it beautiful? I love I like it. That. I love the font. So it's I called In Place of Fear. It's really yeah. pretty. I like the color. It's really pretty. Yeah. This is so this is Edinburgh. That's the castle and the hospital mm. of Edinburgh skyline. And this is Helen Crowther, uh, my young upstart um health welfare officer worker um so i'm really oh, so pleased with that jacket it's beautiful and we fiddled about with it so many times to make her look um determined but not obnoxious and not arrogant and you know it, it i'm really pleased with it very nice i mean the, i mean great. the jacket that sounds big-headed i mean the jacket i mean <laughs> the look of it i'm really pleased with it yep that's the new one and in place of fear, I should say, in place of fear, which I thought, I can't believe that no one's used this title before me. This was the title of the little book that the Prime Minister, uh, Nye Bevan, wrote about mm. the National Health Service and the rest of the welfare state, I suppose you would say, mm -hmm. uh, in place of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what it's called. And I thought, uh, someone, someone will have used that because it's such mm -hmm. a good title uh you know it's in a place of fear where bad things happened or or something else where fear used to be instead and no one ever had so i just took it and now it's mine as well it was, it was, it was, it was yeah, meant I know. to be i know it's just one of those you know when you think oh that's a great title and then you google it and you go yeah of course someone's used it of course they <laughs> have of course they have but no no one did no one did so what what, I'm, what, I'm sorry, Katrina, what advice do you have for new authors to get started writing? Right, I do, I've got this advice that I um, 
truly believe, but I'm going to quote someone else who said it better than me, and that was Charlene Harris. And she said, she said this the best way I've ever heard anyone say it, which is finish the book. Mm-hmm. She said on a panel once, anyone can start eight books. It takes a writer to finish one. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, when it's when it's terrible, when you think it's a disaster, when you're weeping, which I do type in and weeping, uh, when you're completely stuck and you hate it and you hate all the people and you hate every page, you just <laughs> blow through to the end and finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I would say you can't, there's no point in editing it. You can't, you can't fix, you nobody, like the midwife does not wash the top half of the baby when the feet yeah. are here, you know. You've got to, and Stephen King says it really well as well. He says you've got to chip it out of the ground without breaking any bits off. Mm-hmm. Then you polish it. So that's my best advice is finish the book. Because once you've got it, especially if you print it out, once you've got that warm block of paper covered in Mm -hmm. ink, you're so committed to doing Mm -hmm. something with it. It's not just a file with, you know, 25,000 words in it. Finish the book. Someone once said, you can't edit a blank page. And that's what that's true. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah. Very true. Because you've got a right to edit. (laughs) You can't edit without writing. Yeah, Yeah, but there there are those times when you're writing a book and you just think to yourself, this is gonna be so humiliating. Everybody's gonna hate this, nobody's gonna like this. Why am I even trying to finish this? But then uh we have to do that's the part where it takes some bravery. It just implodes and does well. well. That's why I can't I, I always feel a little bit um, anxious and protective of beginning writers who say that they, they show bits of their first draft to a critique group because I think oh I'm not robust enough to do that that would no, kill me no. stone dead you know one crossword and I would just all the air would, there would be none of this mm-hmm. all the air would go out of it I'm sure so yeah furtive I'm so furtive I don't talk about it <laughs> no, we do as since we write together we have about 10 we pass it back and forth about 10 times and because the, the first draft is a disaster, it always it's is. It's supposed to be. It's yes. supposed to be. <laughs> and no embarrassing. I mean, shameful because you write yeah. all the sort of <laughs> wish fulfillment and all the bombastic stuff and all the mawkish stuff I do. Anyway. <laughs> Was it uh, Ernest true. Hemingway said, "Write drunk and edit sober." Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you what I ask all my authors: When you write, do you eat or drink? Oh, yes, I've got a photograph. Um, yeah, because I'm British, so I drink tea always. I've got a photograph, especially towards the end of my desk. I've got a photograph of my desk towards the end of a, a book, which has got the, the leftovers of my lunch, which is a pickle <laughs> jar, a pickle jar with a fork in it and an empty peanut butter jar with a spoon in it. So, <laughs> sometimes that's how, how I just, I've got to get finished, I've got to get finished, and I'm eating peanut butter with a spoon instead <laughs> of any kind of um, food. So yes, I do I do drink tea and snack. Ooh, yeah. I'd love to be able to... I'd love to be able to not do that. Do you? Oh, well, what about music? Do you listen to music? When no, you... I don't. Do you listen to music? I cannot write without all my senses stimulated. So I have to have something in my mouth and I have to have noise in my head. Without oh. that, I can't write. So all my senses have to be stimulated. 
Whereas he so do you have, have do you have a like a playlist that you're is your music it, anything to do with the what's coming yes, out always. in your face? And when I'm writing the fight huh. scenes, I listen to heavy metal because it irritates me so much. And oh. then when I do the soft romantic scenes, I like the Strauss waltzes. Oh no, no, that I've puts got me in the mood for romance. No music. I mean, I wouldn't say it's silence. Not in the last couple of years, anyway, because my husband was working at home from March 2020, and he was on, you know, he was on Zoom 17 hours every day, as far as I could tell. And he's an epidemiologist, mm -hmm. so it was really the stuff he was talking about was not at all conducive to forgetting what was going on in the world, <laughs> and you know, climbing into a fantasy world. And I can write in coffee shops as well, and I don't mind conversations going on around me. But no, I don't. Mm. I don't well, have any uh, music. Before we moved to where we moved, we moved here about a month ago, where we are now. But we downsized. We used to have a large, four hundred square foot office, and Janet would be on one side writing, and I would be on the other side writing. And and every so often, we would look up and say, "You know, if someone didn't know us, they would think we didn't like each other because <laughs> we're not talking we're just to so each other." I got my so do you use on. earbuds? I was going to say yeah. that you yeah it use earbuds because he can't yeah. write with music or noise. Oh, I think that sounds lovely, but we could never share an office because Neil and he gets up and plays a little bit of guitar every so often, and he listens to baseball and just ugh, no, and I <laughs> do with it in the same room. Well, Katrina, it's been wonderful talking with you again. It's been a long time. Yes, hopefully we'll meet up face to face again. I hope so. Well, Bouchercon San Diego. Yes, if not before. Right. Yeah, I mean, which is a year away, but yeah. Yeah, I'm planning. Before. I'm planning to go. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to oh. talk to you. Well, You're very welcome. Having you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Chatting with Authors podcast. To learn more about Janet Elizabeth Lynn and Will Zeilinger, go to themarriedauthors.blogspot.com. Tune in next time to hear more Chatting with Authors.